Hi everyone, Blake here with a special announcement before we get into the episode. We're doing a viewer's choice movie special for our second episode later in November. If you have a pre-2000s movie you love, or an old movie you've never seen before, but would be interested in hearing more about, let us know. You can reach us on our Facebook page, our Twitter page, our Podbean channel, or our YouTube channel. Just look for Vintage Cinema Rewind, basically anywhere you can find a podcast. I'm really excited to hear what you come up with. Alright, now back to the show. I think we're good to go, so if you want to spend a few minutes to think about your... You're good? I'm good. Let's you can it. wing it? All right. Yeah, dude. <laughs> All right, I um, enjoy a challenge. <laughs> Welcome to VCR, a Vintage Cinema Rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Blake. And I'm Michael. Hey! hey. And we even figured out your name this time. That's right. <laughs> I think I beat that joke into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. You absolutely did. Yeah. <laughs> and this week, we've got the movie Platoon from 1987 that we're doing. 1986. What? Yeah, it's 86. Oh, shit, I wrote that you down. Don't wrong. cut this out. No, I'm cutting it don't down. Don't cut it out. I'm cutting it. <laughs> It'll make you seem more approachable. <laughs> <laughs> like less of a know-it-all, eh? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> but cut out do- all my mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're doing Platoon from 1986. So, I guess, let's start with the plot. Let's just dive right in. All right, let's do it. Uh, this is a heavy movie. <laughs> yeah, just a little. It's got some heft to it. Okay, so... Charlie Tiger Blood Sheen plays Chris Taylor, a new meet, new recruit in the Vietnam War. And as the movie unfolds, he finds himself caught between two superior authors who serve as kind of father figures to him. One is Sergeant Elias, played by the always fantastic Willem Dafoe. And the other is uh, Lieutenant Barnes, played by Tom Bruner. Am I saying that wrong? Am I? Tom Berenger. Tom (laughs) Berenger. Don't cut this out. Yeah. And what unfolds is almost kind of a spiritual fable about the nature of good and evil against the backdrop of one of the most controversial wars of the 20th century. Yeah, and and taking a very realistic approach to what the war in Vietnam was like. Oliver Stone, I'm kind of getting into the characters and people you may know stuff already, but Oliver Stone, the director behind this, was actually a Vietnam War vet. A lot of the scenes and moments in this film were actually drawn from experiences that he had during the war. Yeah, this is definitely um, one of the most unglamorous grittiest portrayals of what war is actually like yeah and for that reason it's really cool it's something that's really special um and this is definitely an old movie that i think we're gonna have a lot of stuff to talk about when we get into a lot of different areas um and and who this is for and and where this fits into cinematic history as well absolutely Um, i'm honestly i'm really excited to talk about this film okay um I I watched this a couple weeks ago now because of our scheduling issues that you and I had. Mostly um, your fault. Yeah, mo- almost entirely my fault. That's um, right. You you blacklisted me from the Cube review. I've just been <laughs> sitting here waiting. True. <laughs> but no, honestly, this film's got so much. There's so much just depth to the film, and there's so many interesting components to it. I think that 
every single one of our topics that we're going to talk about today is going to be a really interesting discussion. I think this is going to be one of those highlight episodes where there's just so many interesting things to talk about that I'm going to have a hard time cutting stuff down. I I can already tell that you and I may have very different opinions of this film. And I'm excited about that because this film was controversial at the time that it came out too, right? Certainly was. Um, Certainly was. So before we get into all of that and our thoughts on the film, let's uh, break this down for who the characters, people you may know, and then uh, let our modern audiences know who who this is for in today's uh, viewing experience. So characters and people you may know. So you've already highlighted the probably the three most important central characters to the film. What's really interesting about this movie is it almost feels like an ensemble movie just because of just the sheer number of to be famous actors there are in this yeah film. you're gonna if you're when when you watch this movie you're gonna have a lot of moments where like oh hey i know that guy um yeah veteran voice actor keith david appears in this movie yeah keith david one of actually a fit uh we're big fans of keith david on the podcast mm-hmm. uh since he was uh child's in the thing uh movie we've already covered i believe he's in at least one other film that we've covered on the podcast of recent or another film that uh i just watched this year and also obviously on community as well so i've become keith david's a weird actor for me because i saw him in community first and was like oh yeah like he's cool in community or whatever but then but then ended up going back into his filmography and really enjoying like all of the films that he's been in and dude this and in, is this so. is so random but for some reason i was watching a clip from agent cody banks recently <laughs> okay. do you remember with um the kid from malcolm yeah, in the yeah. Middle? uh i don't remember uh, his name. yeah i don't remember his name either but keith freaking david is like a sec- his like secret agent handler in that what? movie yeah that's, that's so random it was I, frankie muniz that's the name frankie muniz yeah. yeah and i was looking at it like okay hi keith david what are you doing here i feel like he's kind of whenever he shows up it's like you're running into a friend at a bar or something you're yeah just like oh hey keith david like pull up a chair buddy yeah like, i'm always happy to see him in films yeah sure. and also just i mean I, despite appearances, I'm a very heterosexual male, but goddamn, that is one of the <laughs> silkiest, most captivating voices that God has ever created. Yeah, it's up there. It's like James Earl Jones almost called it. Oh, yeah. Like, for, for those of you who don't know, he was Goliath in Gargoyles, and <laughs> most recently, he's President Curtis in Rick and Morty. I, I love the fact that when I woke up this morning, I had no idea that Gargoyles was going to be a part of the Platoon podcast, well, but I should have not expected it from you. Look, when you invite me on, you're going to get, you expect the unexpected. All right, we are we are way off topic right now. I want to keep talking about Keith David. No, we, we have so many other actors to talk about. But first, let's talk about the three main actors, even though you kind of already briefly mentioned them. So Chris Taylor, played by Charlie Sheen. We don't need to talk about who Charlie Sheen is. Everybody on the planet uh, knows who Charlie Sheen can is, we, for better or worse. Just, just not to cut you off, but yep. can, I, I, can we talk about just how freaking surreal it is to see Charlie Sheen in a dramatic role? And And you know what? Like, he's in several of those in this time period, and they're all pretty good movies. Well, it's just funny, because you and I are both, well, we're around the same age. I turned 30. I feel like our earliest point of contact with Charlie Tiger Blood Sheen was Two and a Half Men. Oh, absolutely it was. Right, and then he famously went insane 10 years ago, and then... 
you know, now, and then I booted up Platoon, and I was like, oh, hey, Martin Sheen. And I was like, wait, what? And like, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's really uh, like a um, reflection of another Vietnam War movie, which we'll talk about later. Obviously, Apocalypse Now. But so... Chris Taylor, the character, is is very fresh on the ground. This is his first tour in Vietnam. He's a really interesting character because he's not the typical soldier type. And that yeah. comes up kind of frequently in his character development. He's and- a bit more... He's from a wealthier family and he's... I believe he's like a university or college dropout. Yeah, he dropped out to go join the war. Right, whereas a lot of the recruits are from... Um, slightly disadvantaged backgrounds Mm -hmm. he's kind of like he's kind of you know he's like a prep school city boy or something exactly and at one point like he's even called like a crusader because he's very idealistic about what war is and what it should be and that comes into conflict especially with uh sergeant barnes who we'll talk about the the impression i got from charlie sheen's character is that like you know he's almost kind of like um Holden Cofield from uh, The Catcher in the Rye, right? Like, you know, wealthy background, moderately intelligent, feels slightly disillusioned with society, and he just kind of joined up because he had nothing better to do. Yeah, like... I, that uh, may not be the correct interpretation, but that's my interpretation. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily agree with that interpretation, but that's fine. We'll move on. Maybe we'll come back to that later. Uh, so Sergeant Barnes, maybe the next character we'll talk about. Um, definitely the more cynical leader of the group. The structure of the platoons a little interesting, and it yes. might be kind of difficult on first viewing to fully understand. There's Chris, who's the on one of the new recruits in the platoon. There is a... Uh, lieutenant who's supposed to be in control of the platoon but he's pretty inexperienced and so he often defers to his two sergeants uh, Sergeant Barnes and Sergeant Elias to make decisions. There's a really interesting scene early in the film when Barnes starts barking orders and then afterwards uh, the lieutenant pulls him aside he's like you know, it'd probably be better if I was seen giving orders. Yeah. And Barnes just very sarcastically is like, yes, sir. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Those kind of conflicts is really interesting to see the different personalities clash with each other and, and that power struggle as well between the lieutenant and his two sergeants and then even between the two sergeants themselves. So, like I said, Sergeant Barnes, the more cynical leader, played by Tom Berenger, who is an actor that I actually didn't, really know a lot of his filmography yeah i'm not really familiar with anything else he's done um you are actually he was in uh and everybody in the modern audiences are going to actually know him from one film in particular inception um where he plays peter browning um who was cillian murphy's godfather the one that they kind of impersonate it's been a while if it's been a while since you watched that film you might not know who i'm talking about exactly but as soon as you start watching that film you'll know exactly who i'm talking about he's older in this too right like he's older in in inception obviously he's also i feel like he's just one of those guys who like he probably has always looked 40 yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly um he was also in the four hour and 14 minute movie gettysburg which is one of his personal favorites from the 90s okay uh and he was also a big part of the Sniper film series, a film series which I'd never heard of. But uh, isn't that Mark Wahlberg? No, it's him and Billy Zane actually. Billy uh, Zane? You yeah. mean Mr. Hairline from Titanic? Exactly. I wow. thought you'd be uh, interested to hear that. I've never seen those movies, but there's like nine of them or something. What the? So, 
from what the, the 90s. H? Okay. Uh, maybe I... not my sphere of film necessarily, but uh, the people who know Tom Berenger know and love Tom Berenger. He's a very cinematic presence. Yeah, he's got like a rugged face. Like obviously there was some prosthetics that were put like that scar was really cool he's got like a very disfigured i think it's the left or right side of his face yeah so he really looks like a grizzled sergeant from vietnam in this movie exactly and so the character that he most often clashes with is sergeant elias the more idealistic compassionate leader who we see has a a a very different approach to war and even like how he maybe steps out of war and relaxes a little bit as well played by willem dafoe in his seventh credited role this is a really great willem dafoe performance and i want to highlight that before we go into that like we were saying right before this podcast started every time i see willem dafoe in a movie up until that point i forget how great of an actor and how much i respect him as an actor and then I watch the movie, and I'm like, God damn, Willem Dafoe does it again. He's just, like, incredible in every movie. Um, he really is. Um, maybe for the younger people listening to this, you probably recognize him as Norman Osborn from the first three Spider-Man movies. Yeah, the uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man series, the yeah. trilogy, uh, The Green Goblin. Definitely one of the his most iconic roles and one he's most known for. Personally, my favorite film of his is The Boondock Saints, which I just rewatched, where he plays a unhinged FBI agent. It's one of my favorite performances of all time, probably. Right. Um, <laughs> you showed me that movie like 10 years ago and I was kind of lukewarm on it. But, oh, I love yeah. it. Yeah, Jess and I were watching it and then all week we've been just uh, repeating to ourselves. And then there was a fire Fire fight! I do remember that part vividly. Yeah. yeah, great movie and all time one of my favorite performances. And then... The other appearances, we're not going to go too deep into these just because there's actually a a lot, but you're probably going to know most of these names anyway, and if you don't, I have a couple of mentions for where you might know them from. So we've got Forrest Whitaker, Johnny Depp, and one of his first film roles ever at the age of 22. Yeah, God, he looks like a... He looks 12 in this movie. You almost blink and you almost miss him too. Yeah, he's not a major character. You're just like... He starts talking in one scene. He's a translator. And you're just like, that's not Johnny Depp, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, Kevin oh. Dillon, in a, a very young Kevin Dillon, uh, who you would actually know from Entourage, as well as Matt Dillon's brother, uh, another big actor. John C. McGinley, who you would know as Perry Cox from Scrubs, most likely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dr. Cox. Um, He's great in this movie. He is great in this movie. Everybody's great. The performances are, like, you, you're not going to complain about any performance. I well, think, actually, Ooh, I have interesting. one big complaint, but I'll save that. All right, we'll save that until we get into spoiler talk. Uh, Mark Moses, who plays the lieutenant in this film, that, his face, I was like, ah, I know who that is. Uh, he plays Duck Phillips in Mad Men, so very relevant in, in that sphere of TV. TV. Keith David, who we already mentioned, Tony Todd, uh, who's a strong voice acting, uh, has a strong voice acting career. I didn't write a lot down about him. I did highlight one thing, though, that's relevant to you and I. He was the narrator in the uh, Legend of Dragoon game in any of what? the cutscenes. Yeah. Oh, my God. So kind of neat. Very only relevant to probably you and I in a very niche group of people. But fantastic yeah and the last person i'm going to highlight is Corey glover who is the singer of living color and then 
director. Obviously, we mentioned Oliver Stone is our director here. Oliver uh, freaking Stone. Yeah, we've kind of been hovering around Oliver Stone this year, I feel like. He did uh, Natural Born Killers, which is one of the films that Jason talked about during our draft episode. Oh, yeah. I think it was his favorite of his three, actually. He also has done several other Vietnam War movies, um, including Born on the Fourth of July, which features Tom Cruise, and Heaven and Earth, which features Tommy Lee Jones. Um, hey. And then... The Two Toms. Yeah. And then he's also known for some other very prominent films, uh, including JFK, Snowden, and Wall Street. All of those he directed, and I believe wrote most of them, or wrote the adaptations at least. And he also wrote the adaptation for Scarface, one of the most uh, famous films of all time. That's a great movie. Yeah. um, I've seen actually almost all of Oliver Stone's movies that I noted there, which is really funny because... His name before we started the podcast wasn't one that was on my mind ever, but pretty prominent director who has very political movies. Definitely. And, and there's some good ones in there. Some really good gems in there. Wall and Street. I think I may be wrong about this, but I think he said that this was like his favorite movie that he did, or this was his ultimate passion project. For the process of how long it took him to get this film produced, I would absolutely believe that. Like, the length of time that it took when we get into effects and filming, like, if you weren't passionate about the subject matter, you want to spend the number of years that you did trying to get this movie made. There's something about Vietnam War movies that are always, seem like they're always a freaking nightmare to get off the ground. Yeah. I mean, the production of Apocalypse Now was so troubled, it famously inspired a documentary. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but I really want to watch that documentary. For different reasons, each of the films as well. Like, I I don't want to compare those as apples to apples because each of these kind of has a different reason for why there was maybe some struggling in the production phase, but we'll talk about that later. Um, This this is our uh, spoiler-free for the listener who should watch this kind of section. So, who is this movie for? So, obviously, if you're a big fan of war movies, this is a a no-brainer for you to check out at some point. Like, this Mm -hmm. is one of the most famous probably in the top 10 most famous war movies i would say of all time maybe top 15 maybe top 15 it's it's won a lot of oscars it's got a lot of recognition for it and i'm gonna when we get to the review section i want to have a discussion with you about vietnam war movies and and kind of maybe even provide like our opinions on which one maybe stands above the rest because i think that's where you want to compare war movies is i think you should compare them by the actual specific war because it can get a little bit more difficult to yeah compare i don't know a ton about the historical context of the vietnam war but this mm-hmm. definitely felt like maybe the most informed the most realistic it's definitely up there like i would compare it to and if we were just going straight war movies i would compare it to uh saving private ryan in the sense that that the opening scenes when they storm the beach there were vietnam or not vietnam there were war vets from world war ii who were completely devastated rewatching that and and commented on how realistic that was to see interesting so i've actually never seen saving private ryan (laughs) i can't believe you've never seen saving private ryan it's like one of the greatest movies of all time i was a film student too how did i miss that i have no idea that's another movie you'll do on the podcast at some point i'm sure maybe in a, a little bit a while i think i've got some more movies that i want to talk about before we get to that one and uh specifically on the podcast but 
in terms of Vietnam War movies, I think if you want a real feel for what it was like to be on the ground of Vietnam during the war, I think this is bar none one of the most interesting films for you to check out. Yeah, this might be jumping ahead a bit into spoilers, but really the the title of the movie Platoon is very appropriate in the sense that a lot of the movie is about the conflict in the lives of the individual members of the platoon themselves. Right. There's almost not a whole lot of fighting the Viet Cong in this movie. No, but when it does happen, and it almost builds up to it at some point, but when it does happen, it is one of the most... I don't know if I want to say iconic, but it's it's a very hectic chaotic fight scene near the end of the film and yeah and from what i've read also stays very true to what being in in a war zone at that time was like as well like there's, absolutely there's there's a lot of realism to this film that that there's a reason why this film was preserved for it being historically accurate in a sense because it's not right. historically accurate in the sense that it's an accurate portrayal of real life people, but just observing what it was like there and, and some of the issues that American troops faced and, and the conflict that they had within each other, like you mentioned is very apparent in here. Yeah. Um, I, I did watch Oliver Stone's appearance on the Joe Rogan podcast, the first one anyway. And I think he said that like, he had a hard time getting this movie. A lot of war movies get financed through, like, the Pentagon or something. Yes. And I guess they wouldn't finance this movie just because of how unglamorous and brutal and how bad they thought it made them look. Well, this is definitely the most unglorified look at war in film that I've ever seen personally. Or if not the most, it's—and I'm going to contrast this later, but there are movies that— definitely can make war look a lot more exciting and heroic and and noble whereas this it doesn't feel like there are heroes in this film no even the most heroic character is not actually all that heroic when you get right down to it yeah exactly and so what i want to say about who who this movie's for i'm also going to say who this movie is not for I'll say right off the bat, I'm going to spoil this. Jess didn't like this movie. Um, <laughs> she wrote this off in probably the first 20 minutes, and I can't blame her. Like, this movie is not escapism. Mm, um, it's not a good time. No, it's it's not a film. Like, Jess is the kind of person, and I can't fault anybody for this, who, who wants to watch a movie to escape, to escape reality, to find uh, some enjoyment and uh, something, a pleasant experience to view, something full of wonder maybe or or full of magic whereas this is a very grounded movie a very gritty like you said it's it's unglorified it's there's no illusions in this movie no it's it's a focus on on realism essentially and the essential the story of this film is war is hell and it does terrible things to people it brings out the worst in people and at the end of the day there was no winners in this war like everybody lost nobody nobody came out of this looking great no and in fact when we talk about the ending i have a lot to say about the ending cool because Um, of that very thing yeah so so i think is this a movie that's maybe a little bit more niche it's definitely a more niche war movie potentially but i think this and again i can't say this has widespread appeal either but would you say that this film is 
important enough to understanding what the Vietnam War was like that it, if if you're at all interested in that historical aspect, you should check it out? Well, I don't know if I can speak to that because, like I said, I don't really know much about the historical context of Vietnam War, despite what the Rambo movies taught me. <laughs> um, you know what? Can I just drop a bombshell on you right now? Sure. I did not enjoy this movie. <laughs> I Let me rephrase. I admired and respected this movie, but I didn't enjoy it. It's almost, this is a weird comparison, it's almost kind of like eight and a half, where I'm like, I see what you're doing here. I'm not necessarily, you know, having a great time watching you do it, but I respect what you're doing. Yeah, there's going to be almost like a pit in your stomach the entire time you watch this film. You're not going to feel relaxed by the end of this movie. I don't even know if it was that. I almost, um, again, this is jumping ahead to my opinion, but yeah, it's almost kind of like the feeling I had watching the John Carpenter movie, The Thing, where I'm just like, I'm, again, I really respect what you're doing and what is going on, but I'm just having a hard time connecting to the subject matter. Okay, that's fair. It I... was It was one of those movies where when it was over, I'm like, good. It's over. <laughs> and this is probably why you've never seen Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, exactly. At some point, we have to just pick a you-specific movie that you love to give the audience an idea of what your film, uh, yeah. what your ide- ideal film is. Because I feel like at this point, the audience has started to develop an idea of what Jason and I really enjoy in the films that would be at the top of our movie list. But we do have to... We we need that movie from you still. I think I'm a very I'm a very mysterious guy. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because <laughs> honestly, I don't know if I can name any of the movies in your top ten movie list. That's um, fair. And that might be an interesting discussion for another podcast episode. Gotta gotta keep you hooked. Yeah, the mystique. So, is there anybody else that this movie is for? Do you think that we haven't talked about at this point? I think, again, going back to what I said about Eight and a Half, it's like, if you, I think if you really admire the history of cinema, you'll enjoy this movie. This isn't really a movie for most people, I think, nowadays. It's more for people like us, people who care about the history of cinema and how it's developed over the decades. So, yeah, and maybe, you know what, I'm going to bring this up. uh, This movie certainly isn't as complicated as Eight and a Half, but it's certainly not an easy watch either. No, it's it's a social commentary kind of film, and it's a politically charged film. Yeah, it's it's not a film that has necessarily widespread appeal. It's not like. I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to bring this up actually from where I was originally planning discussing this because I think this is a, a good time to talk about this. Let's compare it to Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now is a cinematically beautiful movie. It's the story of a man on a mission to, and it's a really interesting mission as he's going through the Vietnam kind of war. We get to see, you know, the beginning of the uh, war, not not the beginning of the war in the sense of timeline, but just like he basically lands at the beach at the opening of the, the big river that goes through Vietnam and him and his task force that he's with go up the Vietnam River to find um, Marlon Brando's character and, and deal with that plot point. And so... It's really an interesting film because we start off and it's like America, f yeah, and it's hey. like like all the Americans at the are like there and they're all like we're kicking ass, this is awesome and everything. Woo. And as the movie goes on, like you see like the the chain of command weaken and you see like 
as we get further and further into the jungle, how how just chaotic and how the war has fallen apart essentially and and that first front that you see is really just that it's just a front like it's just like you know americans are like it looks like an appearance of of like everybody's kicking ass and this war is like it's, so winnable it's a facade yeah, yeah. and and it's it, it's cinematically it's so much more of a compelling and exciting movie Whereas this again, like, and that's a movie. I would say, I would say, Apocalypse Now is a movie. Whereas this is like an experience of of feeling what it was like to be in Vietnam. I almost kind of feel like that's you know, just thinking about it now, I didn't really realize how many similarities there were between the two. But they're both movies about the Vietnam War that take on very like mythic dimensions yes and more so apocalypse now but i see what you mean in certain areas of platoon i don't know that i'd agree i almost feel i mean we'll get into this a bit later but i almost feel like there's this is platoon is almost a spiritual movie like, interesting there is some very heavy-handed christian symbolism going on here i didn't pick up on that at all so i'm gonna be interested to see what you want to talk about with that um the other movie that we'll compare this to because it's a personal another personal favorite of mine is um full metal jacket um, oh i've never seen that one. Oh, so good it's one of my favorite stanley kubrick movies and full metal jacket again is more cinematically exciting it's got a wit to it like a humor that's kind of like uncompromising throughout me um, so horny yeah, yeah stuff like that and there's like some really great performances but again it, it kind of maybe it shows that it's more similar to this movie in the sense that it shows like the war is hell aspect and and the horrible things that it does to people, but it's it's definitely a more exciting kick ass kind of movie. Like you feel good by the end of it, kind of in a way. Like you, I felt like by the end of it, I was like, yeah, that was a great movie. I'm so pumped that I watched that. Whereas this, I walked out and I like again I said earlier it was like a punch in the gut. Like this whole movie, I was so unsettled and just like disturbed by everything that i was watching that it left me th- with a lot of thoughts and a lot of thinking whereas i walk out of full metal jacket and the first half of it like there's a lot of thinking and then the second half of it is just like a, a, a generic war movie but with stanley kubrick-esque control stanley over it. kubrick-esque shenanigans yeah exactly so so comparing very specific vietnam movies i think it's an interesting film to watch in contrast to those two films because like you said there's some similarities between each of them maybe but there's also very stark differences and very stark differences with how they maybe portray war as well so i think we've beaten to death who this movie is for when to watch this movie is really engrossing like it's hard to look away so i i think it's something you don't want to get distracted from because i think it takes away from the experience yeah, yeah the experience like i think you have to be fully there for it and you have to be open to just watching everything that's happening because of the way that the the plot of the film kind of moves along it's sometimes as a civilian hard to follow like what the mission of the platoon is what they're doing exactly so i think if you were to like you know flip through your phone for five minutes that you might get 
even more confused about like where yeah, the plot's yeah, yeah. heading. Don't leave your phone in the other room. Don't check your phone. You're gonna forget yeah. what's going on. Yeah. In fact, like let's just make that a rule for all movies. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was watching a movie recently where I checked my phone halfway through and then I looked up and I was like, wait, what happened? Like what's going on? Yeah. If you if you're ever sitting in a movie with me and you ask me what's happening and I've watched you sit on your phone for like twenty minutes, you're not gonna get a good response from yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, that's totally fair. When to watch this movie? Um, I watched it on a Sunday afternoon. And I think that's the good point to watch it. Yeah. I I would agree this is a Sunday afternoon kind of movie. Because I don't think I could sleep after watching this for a couple of hours probably. Because I okay. have there's a lot of thought spots bouncing around my head. And like just with how disturbing everything is. Like it's, it's something that I wouldn't want to just quickly pivot to going to bed afterwards. And it's not a late night movie either because of how how dense the film is in terms of the material yeah so i think sunday afternoon is kind of perfect even like a, a sunday night like kind of thing like yeah I, I think you want to be fully present for it you don't want to be tired or or ready to go to bed or distracted at all but it's also not like a blockbuster movie again i think this is where you and i are diverging on this movie i don't think i found it nearly as emotionally affecting as you did Maybe. Yeah. Which is weird. I probably could have taken a nap after watching this movie. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. We're going to have to dive into the filmography of Mike at some point and get an idea of like, A, what are your favorite movies, old movies particularly? B, what unsettles you? Also, I'm kind of fascinated by. I'm a high-functioning sociopath, yeah. so not much unsettles <laughs> me. <laughs> it's uh, funny. Um, you and I watched, uh, what was that horror movie we watched recently? The one that you thought was really scary? Oh, The Conjuring. Yeah, we watched The Conjuring, and yeah, I found it very unsettling, but I was like, eh, like, you know. Oh, that's a solid horror movie. That's a classic. It's a good horror movie. I just wasn't that frightened by it. That's fair. I've got a horror movie that I watched recently um, that I don't want to talk about quite yet because I think I'll, it might end up in my best of for this year. Okay. So, Keep your secrets. I will. Um, <laughs> where to watch? Currently, the movie is streaming in a few different places. You have some options here with this one. If you've got a library subscription online, you can get it through Hoopla. The free movie website Tubi is streaming it currently, so which is a pretty cool website. It's got ads throughout the movie, like you're going to take like a 10 second ad here and there. I've never it, heard of it. For free, it's pretty sick. And then MGM through the Prime channel, you could view it through there. All right, that is it for the spoiler free. I think uh, this is going to be an interesting conversation because obviously this is a bit more of a niche movie again that we're doing. And you and I, it sounds like, have maybe very different opinions of what this yeah, movie is. Yeah, it's almost like we saw different movies. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we did necessarily. I just think that I appreciated more of the aspects of what the film was doing than you did, potentially. Yeah, and again, it's not so much I respect this movie. I just don't necessarily like it Yeah, that and that's fair. And I think that's a very fair take on mm. Platoon. So before we get into that, though, we'll say here that this is the cutoff point. If you're interested in seeing Platoon and you don't want any spoilers, turn off the podcast now. Come back later when you've watched the movie. If uh, if you're not interested to watch the movie, there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about anyway. So stick around. Either way, we'll see you in a bit. So I think with our spoiler talk, I again kind of want to do a similar uh, start here where we talk about in front of the camera before we move back 
to behind the camera, behind the scenes. And so we'll talk a little bit about plot, kind of some of the interesting points of the movie, and maybe some of the really good quotes in this, because there are some really cool quotes that are from this film. Let's talk about, I guess, the construction of the film and how this film plays out. It essentially plays out in like almost like three parts, and they're kind of based around Chris's, Charlie Sheen's characters, points at which he's in Vietnam. There's yes. the, the first initial days of him landing on Vietnam and being placed within the platoon. Then there's him getting wounded, him returning a few weeks after uh, he's been in the medical wing, and then they're back at base camp. They go on on a mission, and then we get the last point in the film, which is the, the big epic battle, essentially. Um, yeah, I don't know if epic's the right word for it, but it's certainly a battle. It's chaotic. Yes. Maybe not epic, but chaotic. We really only see, like, a few days of time in Chris's experience, but they're all very traumatic and very impactful experiences that he has in Vietnam. Yes. Like, when he's he's there, he's green, he's the, the junior member, and we kind of get the backdrop narration. Well, I was going to actually ask you about that. What do you think of uh, Charlie Sheen's narration throughout the film? I call that, and I'm going to raise you. I'm just going to say this. I don't really buy Charlie Sheen as a dramatic actor. Hmm. I found his acting kind of lackluster in this movie. I think that I agree with you on that. Yeah, and part of it may just be the fact that perhaps Charlie Sheen, the personality, has overtaken Charlie Sheen, the actor from the 80s, but I just did not find his performance all that compelling so i don't necessarily notice performances in movies it's kind of like score like if you're doing a good job i'm not really gonna notice right mm. i'm not the kind of guy who's typically blown away by actors i care more about like the writing the dialogue mm-hmm. the story but i did find his acting a little it's a little hollow wooden yeah. yeah so i'll say two things to that the first is is that I'm I'm holding Charlie Sheen up on a little bit of a pedestal here because I've seen Apocalypse Now probably almost a dozen times now. Yep. And Martin Sheen is definitely a superior actor. Um, oh yeah. Especially in a in such a similar type of role in such a similar situational role. Yeah. It's... Um. It's it's such a contrast between what each of them does with their characters and also like what they're given with each of their characters that I I definitely got to give it to Martin Sheen. Part of it could also just be that, like, I found his motivations a little vague and lacking, you know? Um, but but I will say I think that was intentional, though, as well, sure. because all of the characters, we don't really know much about anybody outside of the war. Like, we get little tidbits here and there, but that's not important to the story. Perhaps, yes. The, the other pedestal that I will say that you put him on is that Tom Berenger and... Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. Yeah. Those two put on such great performances that he does get overshadowed by both of them. Yeah, you're uh you're in your varsity high school swim team, but you're competing against Olympic swimmers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chris's narration, or Charlie Sheen's narration, I think the dialogue is really great. It's just I don't know if he knew exactly how to deliver it. A hundred percent. So he's writing letters to his grandmother. Yeah. And 
he just seems kind of whiny and bratty. But that's that's the person who he is, right? He's a like you said, he's a potentially rich and spoiled college dropout who's gone to war to see what the human experience is like essentially and when he gets there he's put through hell in his first few days like he recognizes that him as a fresh recruit on the ground does not his his life does not hold the same value as the rest of the members in the platoon um yeah it's almost like there's a really interesting scene early on when like the commanding officers Willem Dafoe, Dr. Cox, and Tom Berenger, and the lieutenant are talking. And they're kind of like deciding who they're going to send to investigate what will probably turn out to be an ambush. And I, the lieutenant's like, oh, let's send like the new recruits. And Willem Dafoe is like, hey, these guys have no idea what they're doing. Like, they're going to get slaughtered if we send them. Yeah. Right? But it's also kind of just like, I think Tom Berenger, Barnes, is just kind of like, well, ugh, like, you know. It's like my guys are being hammered. They know what they're doing. They're useful soldiers. Yeah, screw it. Let's send the cannon fodder. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. They're essentially just being thrown at the war machine. Like they're being reduced to meat, essentially. Yeah. Which is kind of one of the ways the movie shows us right off the bat that um, Willem Dafoe's character, Elias, is kind of, you know kind of he's framed as the compassionate idealistic sergeant contrasted against the more cynical brutal barnes one of my favorite scenes actually early on is charlie sheen is really struggling with carrying his equipment and elias comes over to him and he says like oh like you took all this extra crap with you he's like here man i'll carry it for you but next time check with me you don't need all this stuff right and that's a really in, like it's a really good way storytelling wise of showing that elias is a really good compassionate guy right off the bat hmm. and also what's funny is willem dafoe he's such a great actor he's plays villains a lot of the time but like when he's like you know showing mercy and warmth to charlie sheen you believe it oh absolutely like he plays a nice guy so well it's really hard not to care about him in this movie easily yeah this is again this is probably my second favorite willem dafoe performance which is saying something yes and i think this isn't something that i said earlier but maybe i should have that I think if you're at all interested in Willem Dafoe in particular's filmography, this is a really cool film to check out because it's in contrast to, like you said, a lot of the other films that he's done. Yeah, I think I read somewhere that I think at the time Tom Berenger was more known for playing heroic characters and Willem Dafoe was more known for playing villainous characters and he deliberately cast them against type. Exactly, and that that is exactly what they did and it worked really effectively in both yeah. cases. Yeah. I think even if you have problems with the film, I think those two, their performances and their characters are are not something that I would have any complaints about. No, and perhaps that's maybe one of the problems, but also not problems I had with the movie, is that I found Charlie Sheen, Chris Taylor to be very underwhelming and wooden, but really the real meat of the movie is the conflict between... Sergeant Elias, played by Willem Dafoe, and Sergeant Barnes, played by Tom Berenger. I will say, though, in fairness, on the other side of things, 
having Charlie Sheen's character come in as almost a blank slate and you don't really know right off the bat where his character is going to go and where he's going to end up, like which camp he's going to end up in Camp Elias or Camp Barnes. I think that's also somewhat interesting and somewhat something to keep you a little bit more captivated in watching where his character ends up in the film. Yes, I think Chris Taylor, the character, is absolutely essential to making this movie work. I just think maybe Charlie Sheen was not up to the task. Yeah, he didn't have enough Tyler. He didn't have enough tiger blood flowing through his veins (laughs) at the time. Yeah, it's his dialogue that always somewhat kills me. And I don't know, maybe maybe it's just his voice and knowing like the history of him the last 10, 15 years that it's it's somewhat hard to get by that. But I don't know. Yeah. I, I, keep, I would say that's my you, biggest fault. You keep expecting him to like pull on a pair of cargo shorts and that like dorky golf shirt he always weared and like play the piano and complain about his brother Alan. Yeah. And have sex with way too many women. Yeah, this is a this is a film that is a performance that becomes weird in hindsight. And and obviously this is the era for performances that become weird in hindsight. And perhaps that's not this movie's fault, but it was a bit of a a hurdle for me to overcome. Yeah. But just jumping ahead perhaps a little bit, I do think so the real conflict in this movie is between Sergeant Barnes and Sergeant Elias. Right. And this is where I think this movie really leans into the heavy-handed Christian symbolism. And I'm interested in that, and I want to know why you think that. Okay, well, first of all, Sergeant Elias, played by Willem Dafoe, is framed as a Christ figure quite overtly throughout the movie. And I think I think that I know what you're talking about, the 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 point that you're talking about but i want you to say why you where what point particular and why you think so okay first of all i just want to point out oliver stone was not being subtle with this point like very early on we mentioned there's that scene early on where the commanding officers are talking about throwing the new recruits to the wolves right and sergeant elias vouches for the new guys and tries to protect them and then kind of Sergeant Barnes and, like, the bad guys, quote-unquote, kind of go off. And Dr. Cox says, oh, he thinks he's fucking Jesus Christ. Mm. And I'm like, really, guys? You just came right out and say it. <laughs> There's another scene where, I forget who it is. It's Barnes or Dr. Cox. They comp- they literally say, oh, he's a water walker. Mm. Water walker, which is a term which means someone who's morally inflexible well and that's something that comes up quite a bit not only in the context of this movie but also in like the vietnam war there was definitely some differing opinions in how the vietnam war should have been run and and uh and like the motivations behind the people there as well absolutely so i think yes you're right but i think the reason why they were saying that was in the sense of like the unpopularity towards the war and how some people were there and were there for maybe slightly nefarious purposes or reasons or had had the kind of personalities that in in war are maybe effective in completing their engagements but are really devastating to the the local communities and the people who are unfortunately put in the crossfires for right so I don't so I don't necessarily I don't know if I disagree with you cuz I don't I don't know if I can fully well, say that he, they weren't going for the Jesus aspect okay, the Christ well, aspect but look 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 trust me like 
when uh, Elias gets killed, there's that famous shot where he like lifts his arms yes. up towards the heavens. I had a film professor who said every time a character in a movie lifts his arms up horizontally with his shoulders, mm-hmm. it's Jesus. All right. Like, and this is where I thought you were going to go. Right. It's a crucifixion image. Also, Yes, but, but before you move on from this, I do want to actually highlight something very important to this scene. The scene where that that occurred, where his hands up are like that, is actually a real based on a real picture um, oh, from really? 1968 in Vietnam. It's one of the most famous war pictures ever taken by Art Greenspan. So if you want to check the picture out, I would uh, just Google Art Greenspan 1968, and you'll see the picture. And it, it is basically like exactly like that. Uh, Arms and up, it's, and yeah. it's in Vietnam. Like so, very specifically, that's the reference there. So I thought that's maybe where you're going from that. And interesting enough, they actually reference that in the movie Tropic Thunder, where he puts his arms like that. It's a oh, really? Reference that's a great movie, movie as well. So um, I can see where where you're coming from with that, but I think that there's enough backstory to to that particular moment in time where i wouldn't give that the the christ connection essentially right there's also the literally the first shot where he comes in he's got his rifle slung around his shoulders and he's doing this okay all right i'll give you that one it's it's (laughs) jesus dragging his cross all right so all right and i'm not i'm not and like look stories all have multiple layers to them i'm not saying that willem dafoe Sergeant Elias is literally Jesus. I mean, he's framed as a Christ-like figure. Okay. And he's a flawed Christ-like figure in the sense that he's a relatively compassionate guy. He looks after the new recruits. He's clearly troubled by the role he takes in the war. He stands in opposition to the more brutal Sergeant Barnes, but he's still a soldier fighting for a very flawed Verily morally questionable war. Well, and that's where we get a really good discussion, actually. Like, one of my favorite scenes of the film is when him and Chris are having the conversation back and forth about what the war means. Yes. Like, and they flat out say, like, that him and Barnes have very different ways of how they look at things. And he flat out says, like, I think we're going to lose this war. And, and I yeah. think the Americans have been kicking ass long enough that we deserve one loss in our right. on our bench. And I think. think what's so interesting about the conflict between Elias and Barnes is I almost feel that Elias represents kind of perhaps it's not appropriate to say the idealism of war, but he represents like, you know, the principles of war. Like he's got a sense of yeah. honor to him. The whole conflict between Elias and Barnes starts because Barnes uh, leads the men into this village and he starts, he holds a gun to a little girl's head to get some suspected Viet Cong member to confess. Elias shows up and kicks the crap out of him because he's so en- enraged by this. Mm-hmm. There's a scene later on where Barnes is gloating. He's drunk and he's gloating slash challenging Elias's friends after he's killed him, spoiler alert, where he basically says, I am am reality yes. which is a great war it's almost so much Elias represents sort of the idealism or the principles of war whereas Barnes represents the cold brutality of war yeah and they're very opposing ideas and and you're boiling things down to exactly what 
I think Oliver Stone was intending and right. and and the messages that he was trying to get across. And at the end of the day, Barnes kind of wins. Um, oh, Barnes absolutely wins. And I can jump right into this if you want. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> you so, sound passionate. Yeah. So sort of the issue I have with this movie, maybe not the issue, but is like I said, there's Chris Taylor, Charlie Sheen, Mr. Tiger Blood, the new recruit. And then we've got not Jesus Christ, a.k.a. Elias, a.k.a. Willem Dafoe. Yeah. And then we've got... Tom Berenger, a.k.a. Barnes, the cold brutality of war. And with Chris, we see that he's sort of, in the final narration, he says, I'm the child of two fathers, meaning Elias and Barnes. But what's interesting is that he seems like a relatively decent guy for the most part. But we also see that during conflict, he tends to fly off the handle. Yeah. He's got temper during the final battle he goes to town yeah he gets caught up i mean it's kill or be killed in that situation but even beyond that he's got very clear bloodlust yeah like he's into it like there's a scene i think towards in the final battle where he's firing away at the Viet Cong, and his squad mate just runs away right and then after barnes kills elias spoiler alert um there's a scene where Elias's friends, including Chris Taylor, kind of hang out in this place called the Underworld. Again, very mythic dimensions. Mm-hmm. Byrne shows up drunk. That's where he gives his whole I am reality speech. Yeah. And he basically challenges Chris, like, why don't you fight me right now? And yeah, try kill, and kill me. He kill tells, me. He tells them all, kill him. Kill him. And Chris flies off the handle, tries to fight him, gets his ass kicked. Right. And Barnes spares him. And then... There's a scene, there's one character, I forget what his name is, but he's sort of the more, he kind of is framed as like kind of a mystic shaman type character, one of uh, Elias's friends. And he basically, he's talking about Barnes. He's like, oh, Barnes is crazy. He's been shot seven times and he can't die. And he says specifically, only Barnes can kill Barnes. And then during, there's a big final battle, everybody's wounded, But Barnes survives, and Chris Taylor, Charlie Sheen, survives. And after the final battle, he has almost an identical scar to Barnes on the right Right. side of his face. And he goes to Barnes, and Barnes is wounded, and he's like, "Ah, get me a medic. And Chris has got murder in his eye. Yeah. And Barnes just says, do it. And No hesitation. Chris kills him in exactly the same way, three shots in the stomach, in the chest, same exact way Barnes killed Elias. And it was quick. It was like, it was, and that scene is really good. I really like yeah. that scene because it's, it's so quick and it's so like, there's no, he doesn't even debate it at all. Like it's so, it's so much more real feeling. Like it, right. it packs more of a punch than like, oh, I don't like, uh, like that inner, you don't see the inner conflict at that point. It's gone. Like you said, there's that murderous intent in his eyes. Right. And then the f- movie ends with Charlie Sheen hopping on a helicopter and ascending into the sky. We right. fade to white at the end. Very clearly framed as early in the movie. He says, I'm in hell. And then the movie ends with him getting on a helicopter and going up into the sky, fade to white. So it's clearly like ascending from hell, that sort of thing. But he says as his final narration, I'm a child of two fathers. Maybe the issue I have with Chris Taylor or even with that final narration is like, no, dude, you're Barnes. You have become Barnes. Only Barnes can kill Barnes. You are Barnes. Interesting. You've got, he's, again, he's got 
a scar on the same side of his face that Barnes right. has at the end. That's so, a really interesting take. I really appreciate that because I don't know if I would have put all of that together myself, to be honest. Right. And I don't, I don't, I can't disagree with you. I don't think like, well, what's, I, and, and you know what? I think that's also part of, again, part of the point of the movie is that can a person like Elias exist in a war? And well, the issue I had with the ending potentially is he ascends into the sky in a helicopter. He says, I'm a child of two fathers, blah, 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 blah. But we have to do our part to build a better world, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then fade to white. And it's like, this movie is dedicated to the men who fought in Vietnam. And to me, something about the ending felt a little disingenuous in the sense that at least my reading of the ending is Chris Taylor has essentially child of two fathers we've got elias the idealism of war or the principles of war and then we've got barnes the cold savagery of war and to me it's obvious like chris has chosen barnes right he has become barnes so when he ascends and he's like you know we have to do our part to build a better world i'm like bitch you're barnes like you have you know you have become you're gonna be the barnes of the next generation like in a sense barnes won yeah. He sort of passed on his torch. Perhaps it even points to the whole, maybe the whole idea that a guy like Elias can't really exist in a war like Vietnam. Yeah, and that's what I was kind of or saying. Yeah. A war at all. Like, yeah. you know, you know, there's a bunch of stuff going on with Putin right now. And one of my friends pointed out a few months ago when all this stuff was going on, it's like, as a society and as a global community, we've got all these rules about war and what's appropriate and what's not. But like, right. what do you do with a guy like Putin who's just going to flip the board over and play by his own rules? Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So what struck me as a bit disingenuous about the ending is, you know, early on in the movie, he says, I'm in hell. And then he gets on a helicopter, flies away, fade to white. To me, what would have been more appropriate ending is if he didn't get on the helicopter he stays on the ground in Vietnam, gets made a sergeant or whatever, and then right. fade to black. It's like, no, well, dude. And that supports, and that definitely supports your idea of who Chris is by the end of the film. But that flying away kind of thing, maybe that leaves that little hint of maybe, maybe he's not all bad. May, like maybe he really is the child, child of, of two, two fathers. fathers and, well, and there is, so there's some good left in him. Perhaps um, it's also, you know, um, Oliver Stone served in Vietnam. He dedicates the movie to the men who fought in Vietnam. Oliver might've thought of it as spitting in the face of his friends. If it's just like, Nope, we're in hell. We're bad people. Yeah, so, definitely. Like I was actually reading this, some point this week and it actually comes back and relates to this that the sunk cost fallacy and how it maybe relates to something like vietnam and the war and you have these families who are back home who have lost brothers and husbands and fathers all all of the losses that have happened over vietnam and you look to the the significant others and the, the parents and everybody else and they ask the government like was my child's sacrifice like worth it or did they die in vain did did their 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 death have meaning kind of thing and so if you just look at it as chris's barnes and what elias did held no weight in 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 who chris became then yeah he's dead there's nothing there's nothing there kind of thing yeah and that's a heavy heavy 
message to come away from with the movie, but that's certainly... And so there's that little bit of that pull away at the end, and maybe you didn't appreciate it because it felt disingenuous, I think, but I, I kind of see maybe why they did the end the way they did, because there's a little bit of that pullback that, you know, there's maybe some some sort of meaning here that we can't, we, we don't just completely write off the people who are there. No, and I I would never, you know, if by chance there's a Vietnam War vet listening, I would never write that off or diminish someone's sacrifice or someone's valor. It's right. just, for me, the whole movie is really, this is what I mean when I say this is a very heavy-handed Christian movie. And it's almost kind of like Elias is the angel on Chris's shoulder and Barnes is the devil on his shoulder. For me, when it comes to Chris's character arc, he essentially chose the devil. Right. In order to avenge the angel, but hey, that he still chose the devil. Like like I said, he kills Barnes exactly the same way that Barnes killed Elias. Yeah. Very much in cold blood. There is kind of a sense also at the end of the movie, um, Dr. Cox spends the whole battle hiding under <laughs> yeah. hiding under a dead body. And then afterwards, he goes up to the commander, and the commander's like, oh, cool, you're in charge now. And yeah. he has this look on his face like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, yeah, which is actually, his character arc is one, maybe one of the most comical yeah. arcs of the movie. Very, I very much appreciated his character in his arc. I actually wrote down the quote where he is basically trying to leave the war early and get approval from Yeah, Barnes. yeah, yeah, because he, he has a bad feeling yeah, about it. Yeah, he says, Bob, I got a ba- bad feeling on this one, all right? I mean, I got a bad feeling. I don't think I'm going to make it out of here. You understand what I'm saying? And Barnes looks at him and goes, everybody got to die sometime. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, like, just to see his cowardice in, in hiding and surviving and being one of the only people to survive the platoon at the, that night. At the same time, can you even call it cowardice? Like, I yeah. mean, you know, hey, he survived. Like, he hid under a dead body, but he survived. Yeah, like, that's fair. Um, that's fair. But anyway, going back, actually, to basically that discussion that they have leading up to the I am reality quote in that scene. I am reality. Um, the term that's used is fragging Barnes. Yeah. Um, that's actually a real term, and it comes out of, a, again, a real um, historically significant point of Vietnam is that basically, like, that actually happened relatively frequently. On Joe Rogan, Oliver Stone said that there was a lot of friendly fire that went on. Yeah, um, where soldiers would especially kill their superiors. And and the reason why they call it fragging was because often it was f- with frag grenades, and it was it, they tried to make it look like like uh, an accident kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was suspected to have happened around 900 times at least between 1969 and 1972 when the war was really becoming unpopular. Yikes. And and again, people were having that disconnect between the orders they were given and, and what they were what they were wanted to do and were supposed to do, right? Okay, I also want to point out that literally the first thing, one of the first things that happens in the first scene in the movie is... Chris Taylor arrives at Vietnam and we see a snake slithering between his legs. Right. This is what I mean when I say that, like, this movie is not subtle with its heavy handed Christian symbolism. Okay, all right. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. You've sold me on your idea here. (laughs) So that's, I'm just kind of thinking about it now. That is kind of interesting in terms of how both Apocalypse Now and Platoon are almost kind of fables about the nature of man or the nature of good and evil hmm. set against the backdrop of the Vietnam War. Uh, and I I kind of understand why, because of how controversial of a war it is. The yeah. fact that 
the U.S. did not decisively win it. So there's all these questions that get raised after it. Like, again, of the was there any point to all of this? Um, yeah, really. So, all Oof. right. I don't have any more plot left to talk about necessarily. I think we hit all of the biggest plot beats. Um, otherwise, any other favorite scenes that you want to mention? Um, I did really appreciate the scene where Barnes murders uh, Sergeant Elias in terms of how we see these parallel shots of Elias and he's running and he's running from left to right and Barnes is running from right to left. That's how you know Barnes is a bad guy because he's running from right to left. (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously, that's a film language thing. If a character is moving from left to right, that's good. He's moving in the right direction. If he's moving from right to left, that's bad. He's moving in the wrong direction. <laughs> it's apparently something that makes sense. Yeah. Old classical film stuff. All that's right. right. Well, that's a good segue into effects and filming, I think. Let's start with the where this film comes out of. Obviously, Oliver Stone, uh, from his experiences in Vietnam, um, he started writing it back in 1968, like right after he finished his oh, experience wow. at the war. And so it started, the original form of the, the film starts with a semi-biographical screenplay that he wrote called Break. And he actually sent this screenplay off to a few people to try to get it made, uh, most notably to Jim Morrison of The Doors, <laughs> uh, who, who was he was originally intending to play Chris Taylor. However, as we all know, Jim Morrison died pretty jo- tragically. Joined the 27 Club. He did. And... Where he died in his apartment, uh, he had the script on him at the time. Wow. So It was so bad it killed him. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Um, Uh, That was tasteless. (laughs) So in the 70s, uh, Stone ended up rewriting this a few times. And he, like you mentioned earlier, he actually couldn't get the financing. And the main reason for that was due to the war's unpopularity with the American public. And... There, allegedly, there was a potential at one point for it to be directed by Sidney Lumet, the director that I uh, did. Oh, your boy. Um, yeah, in the, the draft episode. And uh, Al Pacino almost potentially could have starred in that version of this You film. know what? Al Pacino would have made a fantastic Chris Taylor. A much better Chris, And I, I agree. know that because it's almost the same character arc as Michael Corleone. Neat. Neat. Um, <laughs> But yeah, you're not necessarily wrong there. But uh, yeah, by the time that this film actually was created in the mid '80s, somebody like Al Pacino was too old for the role of That's Chris. That's also and, a good and point. That was... It's also um, what is the relationship to this movie in the Rambo movies? Like, when did uh, Rambo: First Blood Part Two come out? Because that's essentially off the top of my head. I know the other movies, but yeah, because that's almost uh, it's almost kind of funny how. Rambo First Blood Part 2 is a shameless action movie about a Vietnam War vet. Uh, 1982 First Blood Part 2 probably came out like very quickly. 1985, yeah. Okay, so this would have been a year before this movie. So you've got Sylvester Stallone with a dumb perm and a bandana and he's... Well, this movie is a heavy response as well to some of the other films in the glorification of war. Yeah, Um, that's what I mean. Just how... um... Which isn't to say that First Blood Part 2 is totally flippant. So the other kind of based in historic points uh, that the film directly references or based on 
Oliver Stone's actual experiences. I did want to highlight a few of these. So the fact that Chris was injured early and then returned, that was actually something that happened to Stone. And I believe it happened twice as well. The scene where Chris saves the girl from being raped actually was also based on a real point in Oliver Stone's military career. Yeah, that was perhaps the most brutal and the most unsettling scene for me. Yeah, and I would agree it's up there with my most unsettling scenes. And it's like I said, it's also based on on a real experience that he had. And, And that's probably also why it becomes so unsettling, because watching that scene, you're like, yeah, I... I believe that that scene could happen. And that's that's yeah. where like that's where the unsettling moments are always grounded in real life stuff, right? Mhm. The other last kind of piece that I wanted to mention was the final battle is actually based on a real battle called the New Year's Day Battle of 1968. So very very similar in terms of what happened th- during that battle and and the loss of life during that battle as well. Mm-hmm. In terms of filming, they started off by putting the actors through a boot camp. So it was like a really intense, like actual military training camp. They had to dig foxholes. They had to do marches and, and nighttime ambushes, just like in Vietnam. And they used like the special effects explosions during those to unsettle people. Wow. Basically, like they wanted to put them through like 30 days of hell before they started shooting so that all of them were like the tired, burnt out kind of military soldiers that would have actually been in vietnam and jumping off of this point i also read somewhere that oliver stone was famously pretty brutal to everyone on this film yeah he was universally hated on set of the film and a lot of it came down to actually people noting that he was definitely under a lot of stress while he was filming this and he also very obviously was struggling from some sleep deprivation combined with his own PTSD of the war yeah, um, while shooting this. Jesus and, and he Christ. Was, yeah, very erratic all over the place throughout this movie. Very difficult to work th- with famously. I think I read somewhere, uh, and I might be wrong, that like, you know, Johnny Depp, he made Johnny Depp so nervous that he wanted to throw up. Yeah, that was that actually is true. And... and he was so nervous that he almost wanted to throw up, and then he made Johnny Depp do the yeah scene yeah yeah again. do it again. Yeah. So and I mean I guess man, when you were a director in the old days, you could just get away with murder. Oh, absolutely. He you probably could have. could have shot Johnny Depp, and they would have just replaced him. Well, think about the horror stories of working with like Stanley Kubrick. Oh right? yeah, <laughs> like that that shit don't fly nowadays. No, definitely not. The other cool thing about the way that it was filmed and that also maybe played with the psyches of the actors is that it was filmed sequentially as well, which you don't often see in movies. No. Um, And so as soon as your character was killed off, you were sent home. That was it. So it was basically like like a feeling of like your friends being killed and then being sent home. Like it was that felt like like real on set because they they just left the production. So like. Charlie Sheen's emotions at the end when he's leaving in the helicopter are real because yeah, he's like he was finally re- getting to leave. He was genuinely crying at the end, right? Yeah, I think I remember reading that as well. Yeah. Because he was finally getting to leave this Oh my production. God, I don't have to work with Oliver Stone anymore. Yeah. So he really uh, dug deep for that one and <laughs> or maybe didn't have to dig that deep. Yeah. I guess there was no human resources department on hand. No. But... 
the helmets. I want to talk about the helmets as well because everybody, and I've seen this in other Vietnam War movies, how people would write on their helmets different yeah. quotes. Um, sometimes they can be hard to see in movies, so I often, like with Vietnam War movies, end up going and reading what the quotes were afterwards. So Charlie Sheen's helmet was, when I die, bury me upside down so the world can kiss my ass. Yeah, I remember that one. Johnny Depp's was Sherilyn, which was... Uh, the name of his girlfriend at the time, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Sherilyn Fenn. Fen. So sweet. Uh, I hope she didn't poop in his bed. <laughs> oh, contemporary reference. Zing. Mark Moses, the lieutenant, had on his helmet a drawing of the Mad Magazine mascot. Oh, um, yeah. And it said, what, me worry? <laughs> um, and apparently Oliver Stone laughed really hysterically once when he read that. So That's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, so those are the main helmet. The last kind of piece, effects and filming-wise, that I wanted to talk about was not only were Oliver Stone's personal experiences used in this film heavily, mm-hmm. but the character of Bunny, the kind of psychotic character that Kevin Dillon plays. Oh, um, I completely forgot about that yeah, guy. Yeah, we haven't talked about but him But he's at all, almost really. the m- most terrifying character in the whole movie. Yeah, because he's borderline psychotic. Yeah. Um, and he just does whatever with no consequence he's ever. like he's like barnes but almost worse yeah because yeah. barnes does things with a reason and a purpose and it's yeah. like scary because you can justify some of his logic you almost kind of get the sense that barnes kind of hates himself a little bit yeah too, whereas bunny is just like whatever like let's just kill and did you see his brains i just like knocked his brains out look at those yeah and then there's like there's that really great scene kind of halfway through where he murders that woman and even dr cox one of barnes's kind of i mean yeah yeah he's henchman he's terrified he's like we don't talk about this yeah like let's get out of here we do not talk about what just happened exactly yeah so and so him in particular there was a book called nom by mark baker um which were firsthand collections of of soldiers stories that were put in this book published in the 80s so good kind of side piece of literature to read if you're interested so the line the only worry you had was dying and if that happened you wouldn't know it anyway so (laughs) what the fuck uh that actually comes from a a real line from that book uh that a that a soldier had said yeah there's a scene where bunny is talking to one of the characters and he sort of says something to the effect of like yeah i went to confession talked to a priest and admitted that i love killing yeah and it's just it's he almost kind of reminds me of todd from breaking bad and that like there's something very like boyish about him but also very like psychotic it's not so much that he's evil it's the idea that like he He doesn't doesn't even he couldn't even comprehend good and evil yeah absolutely that's a great way of putting it it's just like whatever i like killing people here i am killing people yeah and like again you kind of get the sense during that big i am reality speech to me anyway i kind of got the sense that like there was almost kind of a sadness to barnes yes like he's almost when he's saying like kill me you almost kind of get the sense that like oh this guy's in pain in some way right Mm -hmm. whereas bunny is just a bunny like he's having a great time yeah (laughs) just living his best life in vietnam yeah, his best murderous life. Yeah, and I mean, you can almost kind of respect that. <laughs> sure, why not? Yeah. Okay, so let's move into score. The score is pretty melancholy throughout. It's very... Um, dramatic. Classical? Yeah, very, There's it's this very one cla- song they keep coming back to. Yeah, it's Adiagio for Strings by Samuel Barber. Doesn't um, ring a bell. 
Yeah, from the 1920s, I believe. Fun. Overall, yeah, so the most of the score was made by George Delarue, pretty prominent film and TV show composer. He did 351 films, TV shows, and documentaries. So oh, wow. Quite a number under his belt. Wow, um, okay. A lot of them being French as well as American. It was a pretty good mix I, oh, interesting. I, when I was reading through. The one song that I want to highlight in here is the use of White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane uh, when they're smoking weed down in their personal bunker the first time it the plays. The Underworld? Yeah. It's the song used by uh, the new Matrix movie in the trailer. It was very widely... Uh, I'm going to have to look that up after we're done recording. I yeah. don't ring a doesn't ring a bell it's a movie or it's a uh, song from that time period and it's uh become one of my favorite like retro songs that i've found this year interesting let's talk some legacy hey uh so the film itself won four oscars for best picture best director best sound and best film editing really it won all those all of those i did not know that yeah it was one of the biggest movies of the 1986 um it, huh. I believe, was Roger Ebert's ninth favorite film of... Oh, no. It was the, his favorite film of 1986, but it was his ninth favorite film of the 80s. Okay, tight. Uh, I, personally, I would agree with best director, best sound, best film editing. I don't know what the other contenders for were 1986 for the Oscars, so... Yeah, neither of us were alive at the time, so... Yeah, that doesn't necessarily help. Sequels, prequels, and reboots. Um, there were no direct sequels to this. How could there be? But Oliver Stone did create like a trilogy of Vietnam War movies. Oh, that's right. Um, so it's followed by Born on the Fourth of July, which stars Tom Cruise, and Heaven and Earth, which stars Tommy Lee Jones. So if you really, really like this and you want to see more Vietnam War movies that are kind of probably in a similar-ish tone like they're by by the same director he's gonna have the same visual style then go check those two out i probably will check them out at some point interesting yeah i mean those are both pretty big actors i am kind of curious to see those movies because um, this definitely felt like a very definitive movie like i don't understand like what more could oliver stone possibly have to say about vietnam yeah and that's that's really fair like i'm sure they would be interesting there is one other related piece of, of filmography that I will mention to this, and that is a documentary that came out in 2018 called Platoon Brothers in Arms, what? Um, which is a, a just a full documentary into the making of the film, Interesting. and it's narrated by Charlie Sheen. Okay. Yeah. Hi, hi, Charlie Sheen. What have yeah. you been up to the last few years? So you can uh, watch it on Tubi and Plex right now. So if, so... You, if you're interested in like documentaries on films, then then there's one available for this one. That's very interesting. In ter- it's sort of like, because I mean, there's Hearts of Darkness, A Filmmaker's Apocalypse, which is all about the making of Apocalypse Now. Yep. And then, like, what, 40 years later, they did something, the same thing for Platoon? Yeah, so Platoon is essentially just a a full mirror of Apocalypse Now. (laughs) Maybe we should have done, like, a joint episode. No, Apocalypse Now deserves its own episode. Yeah, that's fair. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. Great. Our personal reviews and the partner factor. I'm going to start with me first, because I kind of... We know what you're, where you stand on this one, so... Oh, do we? Um, Are you sure you don't want me to belabor the point a little? No, I do want you to do that, Okay. But <laughs> I'll give a very different opinion, because 
we've harped on quite a bit of this okay. um, based on your feelings for the film. I think this is one of the most effective Vietnam War movies of all time. Fair. Um, I think that in terms of providing representation for what it was like to truly be there, I think this is one of the best films for, for seeing that. And does that make the film a good, exciting movie to watch? Not necessarily, but... That's where you and I come in with our earlier discussion about talking to new audiences about what to expect when you go in. Yeah. Because sometimes your expectations going into a movie can completely sink or swim your opinion of that movie. Yeah, and like you told me, it's kind of funny. We were supposed to record this last Sunday, and yeah. you said, do you want to come over and record? And I said, okay. And then I was like, oh, this asshole wants me to come and record. He won't even tell me what the movie is. And then I said, wait, what movie? And you said Platoon. I'm like, oh, yeah, you told me like two weeks ago. <laughs> so all I knew about Platoon was that it was a Vietnam movie. That's all I knew going right. in. Right. I didn't know Charlie Sheen or Willem Dafoe or Tommy Berenger were in it. But yes. Yeah. And so knowing that this isn't a film that you're going to get excited about that's going to make you like fist bump like yeah yeah this is about heroes like real american heroes and stuff like knowing all of that going in i think is really going to impact your viewing experience for the better and like i said i think this is a very strong vietnam war movie i think overall it's a better film than full metal jacket which is probably one of like Again, one of my favorite Stanley Kubrick movies, but I don't think it's more enjoyable to watch. And that's where, again, like uh, we're kind of alluding to. Well, um, I was just going to say, it's kind of like what I said is that like, I respect and I admire this movie, but I don't necessarily enjoy it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's kind of like, again, it's again, going back, weird comparison, but it's kind of like eight and a half. It's like, I really respect the artistry and the techniques and the message, but it's, not exactly a fun romp. No, it's not a fun romp. And th- and that's where I'll say, like, I'm glad that I watched this movie. Very, this is almost a similar review as Eight and a Half. I'm glad I watched it. I don't know if I'll ever go back to this one. Yeah. I I appreciate everything that was done. I think it's a great war movie, but it, it is just so demanding. Demanding is a great word for it. Yeah, that, that it's hard. Whereas Full Metal Jacket and Apocalypse Now are films that I come back to over and over again. Like, I watch them probably every other year. Oh, really? Least. I love... Oh, I love those two. The, um, Apocalypse Now is, in my opinion, probably the best Vietnam movie. I um, think I would agree with that. Even though, even though I think this movie is more effective at telling the story of Vietnam, I think that Apocalypse Now is a better film. Is it better, like... It's a cinematic experience. Yeah, well, you've also got Marlon Brando giving, like, one of the most haunting performances of his life in Apocalypse Now. You don't really have an equivalent in this movie. Yeah, uh, and that's fair. That's agreeable. Even though, like, I, th- I still think that uh, Willem Dafoe is, is a master at acting. Oh, yeah, um, there's great performances. Like I said, I think this is the best Vietnam War movie that I've personally seen. And then the other, by other two references of my top ones are Full Metal Jacket Apocalypse Now. I will say I haven't seen The Deer Hunter or Good Morning Vietnam yet either. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen either of those either. They're both definitely on my list. They're very, very important films with some very big actors attached to them. The Deer Hunter has Robert uh, De Niro and... Christopher Walken. Yeah, and John Cazale. 
Uh, whereas Good Morning Vietnam is obviously uh, Robin Williams. I've been thinking we should do a Robin Williams movie one of these days. Oh, I'm very open to doing a Robin yeah. Williams movie. There's so many actors that we just, like, in terms of time and trying to get to all of these big actors, like, it... It takes a while to get through people. Yeah, like we're yeah, on. Yeah. We're a year into this podcast at this point. We're doing our best. We, yeah, we we haven't done a Robin Williams movie. We haven't really done a Jack Nicholson movie, and there's other big actors like that. But anyway, yeah. So I think that uh, I do need to see those before I would give like a definitive best like list of what I would watch. But in terms of like chronological order of when these films take place in Vietnam, I actually figured that out. Um, so Platoon takes place first in chronological order. So if you were if you wanted to watch like how the war developed, um, and that would be the one that I would watch first. Okay. After that, Full Metal Jacket takes place actually just about immediately after the events of platoon in terms of chronological order when you say chronological order are you talking about like historical yeah okay so so uh platoon takes place in i believe 68 and then full metal jackets 69 i like it's literally like a few weeks like after platoon ends basically interesting and then apocalypse now is 1970 a couple years after as the war's like at like winding down or starting to wind down it's at peak unpopularity that's the Vietnam cinematic universe. Yeah, exactly. So okay. you can check those out in that order if you uh, want to watch it like that. Thought it was kind of neat. Um, like I said earlier, just checked out pretty early, so uh, which is valid. Like I said, this isn't a escapism type of film. This so. isn't a Jess movie. Yeah. All right. I want your fully fleshed out review before we talk a couple other things. Uh, well, you, I've been pretty upfront about my feelings on this movie. I watched it on a Sunday afternoon in bed on my laptop and yeah like i said i admire this movie i don't necessarily think i enjoyed it that much to me um this was almost kind of like a christian morality fable as opposed to a full-blown war movie i really i really see the symbolism and like the kind of mythological the mythic dimensions Oliver Stone was going for. And I'm surprised that you being the writer and being somebody who appreciates all of that, that you didn't enjoy this film more with reading into all of the deeper meaning behind everything and and, and how it was framed. Kind of funny. Maybe it's not so much that I didn't... I think maybe... Let me put a pin in it. I think maybe this movie was an emotional experience for you. Yeah. It was an intellectual experience for me right and that's that's definitely the difference like you were looking maybe maybe it's fair to say you were looking more at the story and i was looking at more of like kind of the lower level metaphors going on yep yeah maybe it's not totally fair to say i didn't enjoy this movie i just maybe appreciated it on a much more detached level right yeah let's go with that detached level Just me being detached, like <laughs> all my girlfriends have complained about. Nice. Okay, I think that is it for this episode. Oh, is um, it? Yeah. I okay. hope you guys enjoyed this one uh, more than Michael enjoyed this movie. Uh, <laughs> well, to be fair, Blake, I am reality. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> so, up and coming stuff that we have going on. I said this at the beginning of the episode, but... 
the next episode is going to be the viewer's choice episode which that's right really excited about i've seen a few good suggestions so far i think potentially top of our list right now might be the green mile potentially but if you have any ideas leave them in the comments below send us a message on facebook or twitter and or wherever you get access to this podcast i hope you can write a comment in there and we'll we'll grab it come up with a decision we got to find no pretty soon because i think that episode airs december 1st so uh probably within a week of this episode airing we will be starting to record that episode so that's right so get your stuff in asap because we want to hear from you what you want us to watch it could be like a movie that you've never seen before that you're really interested in or maybe you, you don't know enough about but you you want to like understand what to know going or in. a movie you think we'd really like or a movie you'd think we'd really hate yeah or a movie that you absolutely love yeah um uh, like that's that's honestly more or less the criteria that we have going into these films obviously this is a a podcast for people who haven't seen old movies and are as as young 30 somethings almost um trying to share our wealth of knowledge of old movies um and trying to bring them to modern audiences so that's kind of our target so that's that's what we kind of look for in a movie and movies that maybe interest us that we've heard of and and never watched or on Mm -hmm. the flip side maybe it's a movie like the thing which i absolutely loved and wanted to bring it to the masses absolutely so yeah like i said leave a comment wherever you find us or listen to us and you may be our choice for our movie so yeah anyway i think that is it for us i think it may just be cool well, have a good night, Rob. Now, that, that all spooled into like one word. <laughs> <laughs> wow, talk much? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm like the hormone monster in uh, Big Mouth. No, that's more like. <laughs> no, that's. Oh, yeah, that guy. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> wow, I'm trying to. It's over. Blank. It's done. <laughs> we're, we're gone. It's Bye. done. Cut it off. Cut it off. All right. Cut it all off. Yeah.